In this episode of the Chillinois Podcast, I'm joined by a cop. That's right, it's the fuzz. Flush the stash. No, it's okay, this cop is cool. He wants to legalize weed and heroin. Woo! Ain't that America? Hey, before we get into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we have several episodes streaming exclusively on our Patreon page. Just go to patreon.com slash if you'd like to stream those episodes now. Some of the episodes are hot off the presses. We've got episodes with the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. We've got an episode with Charles from Chitiva. In both of those episodes, we talk about the most recent legislative session and how a push to criminalize and regulate uh, Delta-8 and other minor cannabinoids was likely uh, a push by some of the large cannabis companies right here in the state of Illinois. It begs the question, why are cannabis companies at the forefront of a movement to criminalize cannabis? It's a very important question, and if you want to hear about how the people that would have been impacted most by this push feel, check out those episodes now on our Patreon page. Once again, it's patreon.com slash Chillinoy. It only costs $3 a month to become a Patreon, become a patron, and it's the best way to support the Chillinoy podcast. Now, if you're not able to support the Chillinoy podcast with your financial support on Patreon, then the best way to support the Chillinois podcast is by leaving a positive review wherever you're listening to this episode from now. Enjoy the episode. Take care. This conversation was originally recorded on March 20th, 2023. Howard, welcome to the show. Uh, It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for your time today. Uh, Thanks for the invitation, Cole. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, hey, for our listeners, uh, right now you're wearing a shirt that says cops. uh, Hold on. I'm actually. Yeah, there you go. Show it for uh, our people that are watching. And if you're listening and you'd like to watch, you can go to chillinoy.net slash video. Um, I'm going to display another picture that I really liked that you had on your social media. (laughs) You with Andrew Yang. I thought this was a cool picture. Um, And you can see it very clearly there. Cops say legalize heroin. Ask me why. Um, I want to ask you why, but before I do that, (laughs) I want to have you introduce yourself to my audience. Uh, Tell me about yourself, Howard, and uh, yeah, tell me your life story. Yeah, life story in under a minute. Yeah, I was uh, uh, 18 years a police officer and detective uh, in a suburb of Lansing, Michigan, Moved down to Texas, got involved in the anti-drug war movement, uh, met a couple of good cops along the way. We formed LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, uh, in 2002. That's now 7,000 member organization. And then a couple of years later, uh, to be kind of like the uh, lobbying arm, I founded COPS, uh, Citizens Opposing Prohibition.org, to represent uh, law enforcement, all of it, in the halls of Congress to basically end the drug war and make drugs a, a medical issue. Uh, been there now for 15 plus years and we're making progress, but it's of course awful slow. Sure. And I'm just curious, uh, tell me about your evolution of thought. You know, you said you were on the anti side, so I'd, I'd be curious to hear that evolution. Yeah, well, 
No, it, it, I graduated Michigan State, and like everybody in the 70s, I was smoking marijuana, had long hair, the usual. And so when I became a police officer, the good news is we had a lot of discretion. So for a, a, an ounce or two of pot, uh, you know, we could just throw it away, which is what I did, about three and a half, four pounds worth <laughs> collectively. And uh, the whole drug war never sounded like a thing to do uh, as we have drunk drivers killing, you know, X number of people every year and, and bad guys breaking into houses, et cetera, et cetera. But really, uh, my, my metamorphosis, my epiphany came when I was a detective and doing follow-ups on home burglary. And the guy, the guy had a stolen pocket watch from his grandfather and I asked him the value. And he says, value, he says, it's priceless. And he was so angry and frustrated, he slammed his fist down on the, on the dresser his wife started crying over the, on the side of the door there. And at that moment, I said, why don't we let crackheads have all the crack they want until they're dead? Stop bothering the good people in my area. And from that, it's a, just a little more nuanced to simply legalize, regulate all drugs and then let Darwin uh, sort out who's going to live and who's going to die. And we know now after 52 years of experience, the police cannot fix stupid uh, in the area of drug, drug anything. And it's time for us to go back to our true mission and police work, which is public safety. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting in so many different ways we're allowed to do dangerous activities. Uh, in the state of Illinois, I can ride a motorcycle without my helmet on. I can go parachuting. I can buy bleach. Um, and, and there's not like a childproof container on the you know you know what i'm saying like you can just open up bleach anybody it's not so the reason i bring that up is because there's of course the funny cannabis cannabis always has to be in a childproof container um which you know i'm not saying it's a problem but i'm just saying you know when we have situations like that it shows you just how ridiculous it is right um you saw that in colorado when there was overdoses after they legalized and sold in, in eight and 2014 and then the state of colorado uh, wisely for public opinion and, and whatever else, uh, made all marijuana, you had to sell it in a childproof package. Um, but that's just another part of the evolution of what we're doing. Right, right. Yeah. So, but I have to get back to, to what you're saying, like having police focus on public safety. And another idea that you threw out there, which, you know, I, I've, I haven't been as blunt about it, but I really like, I mean, I respect how blunt you were about it, which is that like, it's, this is, if this problem is, if these drugs are as bad as the opponents say they are, then by all means, the issue, the problem will work itself out if we would just legalize it pretty quickly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, I mean, uh, the, the good news is now only about 11% of Americans smoke cigarettes when I was a kid. That was 50%. And Darwin did sort it out. We're still losing about 1,000 uh, Americans a day to lung cancer from smoking cigarettes. And nobody, but nobody says, well, let's make cigarettes illegal to help stop the problem. But unfortunately, with about six drugs, our grandparents said, oh, well, but these are so dangerous, we got to make them illegal, which, of course, solves absolutely nothing. Yeah. And what's very interesting about some of the drugs on the list is that they're arguably not, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you could have a, a, 
psycho psychotic issue if you're maybe you know you know i'm just saying that you know maybe all drugs aren't for everybody but to call them dangerous is is funny because if you look at the list of controlled substances they're just drugs that are fun they're not drugs that it's not like mercury's on it right it's not like poisons <laughs> you probably know from the history that was part of the problem the old puritan ethic is not dead and uh, the religious folks, especially 100 years ago, said, you're not here to have a good time. You're here to have a good relationship with God. And you can't have a good relationship if you're high on fill in the blank cocaine, heroin, opium or whatever. So that's a big chunk of the reason they made them illegal and they stay illegal. Yeah. So uh, cops say legalize heroin. Ask me why. Why? Because I, I would say that this would be And How do you pitch this to somebody that, that sees your shirt? I'm just curious to if I approached you on the street and asked you why. <laughs> and I get I get a couple people every Saturday when I when I don't have a coat and tie on, you know, being a lobbyist. And I, you know, the short answer is, is if we let Darwin sort out the people using drugs of any kind, then I will have more time to protect you and your family from bad guys like pedophiles, drunk drivers people flying airplanes into buildings, all kinds of th public threats out there we're not devoting enough resources to because we spend millions of hours chasing drugs. And that's where I, st I st it's 30 seconds. I stop right there. Yeah. And I mean, just to, to add to that, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Somebody on the past that I've had on my show that was also on the anti-drug side of the drug war they basically said, you know, I'm fine with cannabis now, but these other drugs, you know, people aren't breaking into houses to steal things for cannabis and such. And I'm like, look, breaking into the house and stealing things, that's the crime. Whatever drug they were on, I don't think that that should factor into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah totally correct. And by the way, nobody knows this because the authorities will not educate legal heroin would cost an addict about a dollar a day, legal cocaine about $2 a day, and legal meth about a dollar a day. And we all know that you can panhandle that on any street corner in about 10, you know, five minutes. So uh, just, you know, say I'm homeless and please give me money. So you could, if it were legal and not taxed, that's what it would cost. So the reason they break into houses because when I was a detective in the 90s, a crackhead needed $200 a day, every day, to support the habit. So he had to break into one home every day or break into two or three cars every day to get enough stuff to uh, support the habit. That's why there's so much crime associated with it. Yeah, and what do you think about the idea? The other thing that this guest had said is like, he, he was talking about the cartels and I asked him, you know, if you wanted to take one of the cartel's main streams of money wouldn't we wouldn't you say that we legalize drugs and he just what are your thoughts on that yeah yeah well it's you know and i always use the analogy um of you remember the story about al capone in chicago yeah i said all the alcohol away by 1937 as america re-legalized alcohol these alcohol gangs all went away well there is absolutely historical record that the Mexican drug cartels would would go away in USA because their their bread and butter, in fact, every all of their revenue is generated by illegal drugs. 
Uh, in Mexico, it's a little more complicated, but in USA, they all go away, just like Al Capone. And people hear that, and they, they know it rings true, but after 50 years of propaganda, it's still hard to make that jump in five minutes from, yeah, drugs are bad, let's keep them illegal, to, yeah, let's go like 1933 and re-legalize all these drugs, which you and I both know, 120 years ago, all the heroin, crack, all that stuff, cocaine was legal in USA. There were no uh, prohibitions whatsoever. Yeah, and the example I always like to use, I know it's just a book, but it's a sign of the times. To Kill a Mockingbird, there's a, there's a character in that story that's addicted to morphine. And it's like, you know, they they just look at it as like, hey, she fucked like she could get that in control or she could not like they kind of just it's interesting how normal it seems in that book it's just like it's kind of like an aside comment as i recall it maybe i'm recalling it wrong um but my point is yeah like you said back in the day back in america you could buy morphine out of a sears catalog um so the needle right and i think that's what we need to return to and i mean back to the point of the cartel it would again here again it would allow law enforcement to focus on the what i think i would call the actual crimes that they're committing i don't think trafficking drugs is a legitimate crime let's just say i think smuggling humans that's a legitimate crime right right i mean we have teen sex slavery for goodness sake, in this country. And we under-resourced that horribly. Uh, on 9-11, we all remember 9-11. On 9-11, I, I checked with an FBI agent. They had they had 2,000, right at 2,500 agents working full-time on the drug war. They had a little over uh, 1,000 agents working on terrorism. Imagine if that had been reversed. Where they, you know, double the number of uh, FBI agents working on terrorism versus drugs. So the misallocation of resources has been going on for a long time. The FBI is still heavily involved with drugs, even as we know, 50 years later, we are a mosquito on the butt of an elephant. We don't make a difference. And the, the bad guys know that if they're going to lose 10% of their uh, illegal drugs between the Mexican, cart uh, Mexican border and downtown Chicago, they simply start out with 110%. So all the drug buzz you've ever read about, whether it's five kilos or 500 kilos, it makes no difference. These guys are smart. They run billion dollar operations and they plan on losing something to the police on every load. So they simply overship in order to supply their customers with a good product at steady or, or, or reduced prices these days. Um, and that's the sad part is nobody in America, no politician or cop, is willing to stand up and say, yeah, essentially the emperor has no clothes on. This is completely, utterly useless. One last thing I do in Congress with every office that I talk to, and I talk to about seven or eight offices every, every week when I make a presentation, please do not look to law enforcement for any part of the solution. You can give us more money as you have, but we will never ever make a difference on the supply, the price or anything else to do with illegal drugs. Yeah, and if I could really quick, I think it's important uh, for listeners or and people for watching to see, you know, we we are in many ways supporting or 
let's just let's just play the clip and i'd be curious to hear your thoughts many many ways crop that is being grown here uh, the taliban lend the farmers the money they are indebted to the taliban they have to grow the opium now the marines in their success are in a sense a victim of their success because now the population is uh, you know they have these opium fields and we are tolerating it we are tolerating the cultivation of the opium because we know that if we were to destroy it now the population would turn against the marines and it would be a real security risk let me introduce lieutenant colonel Brian Christmas. He's the commanding officer of the 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines. Uh, really a, a wonderful group of uh, Marines here. Uh, I know that you care deeply about this, uh, this contradiction, the fact that uh, here you have one of the best fighting forces in the world ever mounted. Uh, and in a sense, uh, you're watching as uh, this opium is being grown. I know it, it grinds at your gut. Uh, how do you deal with it? What are you doing about it? Well, uh, frankly, this is a part of their culture. So uh, while it might grind in my gut, it, it's what they do. Uh, we, we provide them security, we're providing them resources, and we're providing them alternatives. And the alternatives uh, are different crops to grow. They're getting the seed and the fertilizer to do it. Uh, they can. Which is laughable. Just want to add the, oh, they're going to grow different crops. Uh, what's your take on that? Uh, I know I just dip, drop, dropped right into the video, so. Yeah, it, it just points out the absurdity of 20 years in Afghanistan. And again, nobody talks about it, but. The number, according to the United Nations, multiple reports, the number one source for terrorists around the world is the sale of illegal drugs. The smuggling rods where, you know, guns get into, you know, Europe, all over the place. Uh, you want to buy an AK-47, go to any train station in Europe, major train station in Europe, and within a, a 200 meters, you can buy AK-47s and all the ammunition you want. Why? Because the bad guys, the terrorists, are using the same smuggling routes for guns as they do drugs. So this is well, well documented. This is open knowledge, and it's just a, a, a fact of life, like talking to that Marine, that we just have to put up with it. Well, we don't obviously we don't have to put up with it, but it's current policy, and nobody wants to touch it in the macro. Yes, we're making progress on marijuana, but that is only a small part of the entire harm done to society in USA by the war on drugs. Do you see any, I'm, I know this is t totally not something that I told you we'd be talk about today, but do you see any analogies between drug policy and firearm policy? Do you like, for example, Illinois just introduced an assault weapons ban. Do you think efforts like that are futile, just like trying to regulate drugs? Well, it, the short answer is yes. At this point, with 300 plus million guns in this country, um, trying to say we, we're not gonna allow AR, AR-15s and AK-47s or, or magazines holding more than 10 bullets or whatever else is, it, it, it sounds good, it feels good to the politicians and the people that they, they who vote for them, but on a practical level, it's not gonna do anything. And most, if it, in terms of drug war, the drug guys in USA mostly use nine millimeter uh, or a 40 Glock, et cetera. They use pistols and uh, they, they don't really use AK-47s or AR-15s. Yeah, and a piece I saw recently, just hear me out on this, drugs are, be sorry, guns are becoming similar to drugs because you can literally grow them in your basement. And by that, I mean with a 3D printer, you know, so. Right, the whole new industry of the ghost guns 
is a scary a scary thought for all of us but it's just like everything else it's it's here it's it's reality it's like the beginning of the internet what 30 years ago we go oh there might be pornography on the internet we got to stop it well pretty quickly we found out you can't stop anything on the internet because it all goes to you know fill in the blank country overseas and and you can't you can't go over there and arrest these people so we have to live with those ghost guns and and make do and of course the, the reason if, if we didn't have the drug gangs uh, selling drugs, then we wouldn't have nearly a million teenagers in this in this country carry a gun every day because of their employment. Well, and frankly, you know, just pe- it's interesting. There are some news reports where I've seen people share. They'll be like, oh, this person was caught with this amount of cannabis because in Illinois, you can still get caught even though it's legal here. You can still get busted with having over a certain amount. There are possession limits, which is just crazy. Um, So, but some people will point out, they'll be like, oh my gosh, this guy had a few pounds on him and a gun. Serves him right. Go to jail. And I'm like, look, first of all, the people that sell cannabis in Illinois, by law, the people that sell cannabis legally, by law, have to have somebody with a gun to transport the product. This is just a young entrepreneur that doesn't have a license. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, and of course, and the, the whole thing's absurd. I mean, you, but for politics, yeah, the states have to start out with, you know, one, two ounces being legal for the population. This is a, this is a big change, so we got to put up with it for a couple of years. But, yeah, I could go to the liquor store and buy 10, uh, you know, half gallons of, of whiskey and not a problem with marijuana because only half the U.S. is legal yeah there's a transition period and we'll have to put up with it but one of the things by the way that reminds me if you want to make effective comments to a republican conservative is just say so that guy with the gun and a pound of marijuana it's going to cost about forty five thousand dollars to the taxpayer to put him in jail for a year how much do you want to spend you want to spend forty five thousand ninety thousand and most will go well i don't want to spend that much so i've always appealed to republicans to say, do you really want to put a 50-year-old man in jail for selling a 20-year-old a bag of weed? And they all go, no, I don't want to pay for it. They don't like the idea of legalization, and they also don't want to pay for it. That's what I do in Congress. That's that's a very effective argument. Thank you for, for sharing that. I hope that our listeners are able to kind of take that and run with it because that kind of brings me back to the video I showed, you know, it's an interesting thing where we've got taxpayer funded dollars protecting these opium fields, right? And then we're probably also now using taxpayer funded dollars to rehabilitate people. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do this. I'm, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it, you see, it's like we're causing the problem and then we're trying to fix it with more taxpayer dollars. And it's like, where's all our fucking money going? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, very cool. Uh, just a f- few more questions for you. What you mentioned, you're a lobbyist uh, in D.C. Is that correct? Correct. The halls of Congress. Cool. So do you do lobbying with LEAP or? Uh, the short answer is no. I, I go through my own organization of citizens opposing prohibition. But as a co-founder of LEAP, I do mention them, of course, and say there are you know 7000 police officers, judges, prosecutors who mostly retired who feel the same way I do and I helped found the organization so I kind of I kind of do half and half very cool where um where do you stand on like some of 
uh like some of our cannabis pol cannabis policy sorry i can't speak right now cannabis policy debates you know people are debating should we do safe banking or should it be all or not like what are your thoughts do you think we should take short steps and get what we can or do you think we should not accept anything perfect please accept the short stop the short step we could have passed safe banking in the last three years but the democrats said i want the whole package so of course we end up with nothing and because of that chuck schumer and, and mr booker from uh, the main culprits uh men and women have died on armed robberies at marijuana stores the blood of those people at the, the employees and the and the guards uh, the armed guards you talked about earlier uh their blood is on the hands of chuck schumer and, and cory booker who want to hold out for this perfect bill in congress and any any legislature if you can get 50 percent this year grab it and go so in fact today i do support that's what i talked about um i will be uh, talking about it this week is please right away pass a clean simple safe banking bill and then let's pass a clean simple deschedule bill that solves 90 percent of the problem take 90 percent and then work on the rest and then i also say uh especially for republicans and even democrats those things like you know record expungement of records and social equity and helping people start a marijuana business um, voting rights restoration, all that is really, really good stuff. And it should be done at the state level, as I believe Illinois and other states are doing. Springfield is passing laws to help entrepreneurs who were hurt by the marijuana war to recover with whether it's, I don't know, start a store or college education or whatever. But those are things that should be done at the state level, not the federal level. Sadly, there's a lot of politics by Mr. Schumer and Mr. Booker and others that that insist on a whole perfect bill and then they get nothing and whine about it when it's really it's all their fault. Can I ask you, does it have to be and I don't think you were saying this, but I just wanted to clarify, does it have to be safe banking first and then deschedule? I just feel like we could get more energy behind deschedule first because that's more like for the people. And then, you know what I mean? The populace at whole. And then when we've accepted that, it's like, all right, of course, safe banking. Thank you for the logical progression. Actually, no, uh, safe banking is the easiest because we've already counted noses, myself and, and Don Murphy, a Republican, serious Republican. Uh, we already have about 74 votes for safe banking if it's clean and simple. We have the support of the, you know, as the American Banking Association. So, that is the low-hanging fruit, and uh, it, it's our it's our strategy, it's our belief that once the safe banking goes through and it normalizes the whole business of of uh, marijuana, credit cards, bank accounts, etc., then the D the D schedule bill will be like, yeah, we did one, let's do the other. But we and by the way, we have over sixty votes for a D schedule bill already. It's just a question of whether whether Chuck Schumer will allow it to be brought up. And now, of course, at this point, Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, the guy in the house. Yeah. And can you we have please... the... oh, Okay. For for both, you're saying? Oh, yeah. We have the votes for both bills. Okay. Easy. Can if you... it's simple. Yeah. Can you explain what safe <laughs> banking is? I, because, and let me tell you the spirit of this question. 
I get the sense of what it is. Like you say, they need access to the cannabis banking system. I've heard and I know people that haven't been able to get home loans, for example, because their income is cannabis related, right? So I don't know that it addresses that, but my thing, my question is based in like, from what I understand, the largest cannabis companies, they don't really have a problem with, with banking. So like, what is safe, what does safe banking do? that yeah some states are trying to finesse it with credit unions credit unions and such but in general this would normalize a, a cannabis business whether you are retail you're a processor you're a grower uh, right now you cannot take your as you know you can't take your expenses off your e280 normal business expenses which jacks up the price at least 35 percent so the legitimate market still has a very tough time, as you know, to compete with the black market because they have to pay all these taxes and fees and regulations. Uh, also, of course, the consumer cannot use their credit card. That's an impediment. And of course, the extra cost of handling cash, you've got to have this extra employee, pretty well paid, I'd say, uh, to carry a gun and guard, you know, the $50,000, $100,000 in cash uh, that the business operates every couple of days. And then they got to pay everything in cash to the, I mean, it's just, a horrible burden that that will all go away once we pass the safe banking and it, it will um yeah it'll simply normalize a a, a cannabis-based business just like opening up a, 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 a you know dairy queen or something yeah and so again are you saying that you would do that before d schedule because you think that would generate more acceptance yes especially with the conservative republicans they face, they still face medium pressure to not do anything because uh, the three hardest words in English is to admit that, quote, I was wrong, unquote. So you've got these congressmen and senators who for decades and decades have said marijuana is terrible. It's a gateway drug. It, it ruins our youth. It causes a motivational syndrome, et cetera. It's going to be the death of the nation. They now have to admit uh, that they were wrong. And the easiest way to do it, in our opinion, is just to let, not that you're going to condone anything about marijuana, but just let them have banking. And then we're, we believe that once they get past that first hurdle of saying, okay, to banking, then it'll be easier to say, okay, let's deschedule it, make it a basically 10th amendment states rights issue and let every state run their own state. Uh, again, we have good support for that and we can pass that bill tomorrow if Chuck and Cory Booker allow the vote to be taken. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think bluntly it's that if you allowed safe banking, those people could see the dollar signs and maybe they could even invest. I mean, we all know that they're all inside trading. Like Nancy Pelosi has like one of the best trading records, better than Warren Buffett. Um, so are you saying they need to see the dollar bills? Well, the, the banking industry does um, and so that that's the reason that the ABA American Banking Association has supported the safe banking bill they want the money they want those deposits uh, this is now what about a 25 billion dollar business and that's a fair amount of deposits um, in in their banks and so they want to generate that uh, that income so uh, but it's, but again the politics have held it back let's to remind your your listeners um, Cory Booker 
and, and Chuck Schumer took no votes the last two years on cannabis in the United States Senate. None. Zero. They were the barnacle on the butt of progress. Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, I was just one of my last questions I had in the spirit on, on this topic is like my fear, if you couldn't tell where I was coming from with like I get how politics works. I mean, I feel like it makes sense that safe banking would happen first. But my fear is if you look at Amsterdam, for example, you can purchase cannabis and coffee shops, but people continue to go for prison, go to prison for possession of cannabis like and are, are in prison because it does technically remain a crime. And it's like that has always been a fixture of like stoner movies like, oh, let's go to Amsterdam, you know, because weed's legal. So like they led the charge. So I, I don't know. You get where I'm coming from? Well, yeah, I've, and I've been I've been uh, once upon a time. Uh, I've been in, the, in, a, can, in a coffee shop and I've had cannabis um, in an edible. Uh, it's, it was a nice experience. But the uh, and I know they still you're technically right. They have not legalized cannabis these last 40 years. They simply have a special agreement with the police and certain uh unwritten rules you have to obey so yeah it's it's a mess they're in the process of trying to legalize regulate uh switzerland is now opening up stores this year uh germany looks like they're going to legalize uh luxembourg already has so there's a there's movement now to normalize cannabis in in europe and i think this will uh normalize the, the god's green plant within a couple of years in most of europe minus france they are they don't like cannabis um, what this, kind of edible? What kind of edible did you have? Was it a cannabis edible? Oh yeah, it was. It was a. It was a uh, cookie. Oh, cool! I heard in Amsterdam they have these things called truffles that have like psilocybin in it, so that's why I was asking. Oh no, no, it was cannabis. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for mushroom. <laughs> no, have you, have you done any other drugs other than cannabis and alcohol? I assume you drink and smoke weed. I do. I love my uh, Crown Royal. That's my drug of choice. And I, the cannabis, because uh, it's legal, I'll tell. Yeah, the, 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 there's about 12 full-time lobbyists for cannabis in the D.C. area. And before COVID, we'd get together about every five or six weeks uh, at, at one of the organizations, the NCIA, and somebody would bring some good stuff. So I was getting stoned about six, seven times a year. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> just, just saying. And it was legal. Awesome. It was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was totally legal. <laughs> Well, um, cool. So another thought that I think you would know about D.C., I think, didn't the Biden administration just kind of renew something called the Harris Rider, which prevents D.C. from formally legalizing adult use cannabis? Correct. Uh, Biden, as you know, has been a drug warrior, cheerleader, supporter for 45 years. D despite his little blip on the screen for pardoning federal uh, cannabis uh, convictees of simple possession, he still remains a fierce drug warrior. Um, uh, he's trying to put a little lipstick on a pig and, and it doesn't work for us. Uh, so yeah, and in fact, for what it's worth, just to, uh, I go up to uh, Congressman Harris's office every six months and I talk to the receptionist and say, on behalf of the marijuana, the marijuana dealers of Washington, D.C., please thank the congressman for not allowing stores to open in D.C. 
because my membership of street dealers is making a lot of money. And if they open up stores, they'll be out of business. So please pass on the thanks of, you know, several many hundreds of street dealers of marijuana in the DC area. And the poor young woman always likes, well, that's kind of sick. I'm going, yeah, it's a little strange, but yeah, it's all about street sales. And and the guys that I represent, I'm, I'm just straight facing it as a lobbyist saying, I, I, I represent these guys. I just straight deliver it. And they think I'm serious and I get a hoot out of it. Uh, and, and some others do too. Because the poor young lady just goes, well, that's messed up. And I'm going, yeah, but it, it's a, just business, ma'am. You know, it's just money. Thank, thank, thank you very much. And go, and then off I go. Oh, you're muted. Muted again. Thank you. Um, I don't want perfection to be the enemy of progress, which is, I think, what you were saying earlier. Take the incremental, right? But I'll tell you, dude, it's it's hard for me to hear the the. I mean, I knew it was going to happen. Like I just told you a little bit ago, it's no surprise to hear you that that safe banking would be prioritized before descheduling. But man, that's a kick in the gut because descheduling would just actually address the issue of cr crim the criminalization of cannabis. You know, like it seems like safe banking only helps people that are trying to make money. And I'm not saying those are bad people. Some of them grow great weed, like, and I and I love them for that. You know. But it's like, man, I, I just hope that I hate that I hate that what would actually fix the problem seems to be a second thought. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's it's just it's just the, our strategy. You know, we make our best guess possible. Uh, there, there's no you know guidebook here. Sure. Um, from my Republican friend. In fact, it's interesting. Almost all the lobbyists now for cannabis in D.C. are Republicans um, and for, many are former staff. Of, of, of senators and congressmen, they know politics inside and out better than I do. And uh, this is what they feel is the easiest path to take. And it, when we pass safe banking this year, put it on the president's desk, um, we believe that we can also pass deschedule in the same year, this, this year, if we can get over the, uh, the objections of Chuck Schumer, who wants the perfect bill. Uh, we believe we get two done in one year if we play our cards right, and Chuck Schumer uh, allows the vote to go forward on a clean, simple bill. What is he? What is he demanding? Do you have any? Do you have like a idea of what like he is? His idea of a perfect bill is. Well, it's we call it a Christmas tree. You start with safe banking, the basics, and then you add. Well, we want all um, all persons arrested for marijuana to be given special consideration for opening a business when we want to expunge all the records of, a, of somebody arrested on the state level we want every state we require every state to expunge the record we want uh, you know all these type of of we call, you know christmas lights are fine ideas as i said and i support them but when you put them into a federal bill then the the you get the backup of the republicans who think this is a 10th amendment states rights issue let North Carolina make their own decisions. And if they aren't quite as good as Illinois, that's the way the situation was intended by our founding fathers. And that's why there's a strong 10th Amendment. So let the 10th Amendment play itself out uh, like history. 1933, we re-legalized at the federal level, but the last state to actually sell alcohol legally was Mississippi in 1966. 
they continued alcohol prohibition for 33 more years. And they may continue cannabis prohibition for another 33 years. It will become a state's rights issue with the deschedule. But we can't look for perfection on day one or we won't get anything. Another point nope. to to uh, put in your to to your point, um, home brewing wasn't legalized, I think, until President Jimmy Carter, right? So I, I'm not sure, but I know most states now allow you to brew about 200 gallons a year, um, as long as you don't try to sell it. You can give it away to your friends, but you can't sell it. Most states, I believe, allow 200 gallons a year now. Yeah, See, and that's, right yeah, that's that's kick ass. Two hundred gallons a year—that's crazy. Wow, that'd be good for Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court justice. Uh, <laughs> but for states' rights, uh, my state of Maryland just uh, increased the age for buying tobacco to twenty-one. I think there's seven states that do it. Dumb as a fence post. You want the police to start arresting people because they're twenty years old and they got a cigarette? Really? But this is the the mindset of some people that, well, we got to have the police fix stupid. And we're good at a lot of things, but not fixing stupid. Yeah. Do you think that states should have the right to continue to criminalize cannabis? Well, I, I believe in this right of the state, to, yes, to keep it illegal, absolutely. But I, it's, um, it's because that's the way the system should work. Um, but there will be tremendous pressure going forward as more states come online to legalize, regulate it, and tax it, if nothing else, for the tax money. If as long as they don't, of course, overtax it. And well, but before I forget, one thing I wanted to touch upon, Cole, is yeah. the progress from across the states to stop searching cars and irritating people, especially of color, by smelling. I smell marijuana. Get out of your car. Uh, this has now been greatly reduced and. And you'll see in Illinois, if they do a study, that police searches of cars are down probably 50% in Illinois uh, because the racist uh, POS cops who've been you know, harassing black, brown, and, and white drivers uh, are now not doing it as much because they can't get the satisfaction of screwing up your life and putting you in handcuffs. So that's just one more good outcome of marijuana, the legalization of cannabis, is there's less police harassment of the citizens in every state which has legalized so far. Unfortunately, in Illinois, we're kind of an exception in that regard. We actually recently had an attorney that has submitted language to to correct a, a, a major flaw in the law, in the cannabis law in Illinois. The penalties actually got worse post-legalization. So just like you said, if if the officer can smell cannabis or claims that they can smell cannabis – which you know with the power of discretion how slippery of a slope that can become. There's no question about it. If they say that they smell it, they can charge you with a class C misdemeanor, charging cannabis improperly. And so uh, folks that want to listen to it, uh, our most recent episode with Evan Bruno, he's introducing language that would remove the odor-proof language from the vehicle code. Um, which is how they get you with that. But yeah, Illinois is actually an interesting exception. I don't, so I actually think that they've, I, I don't have the data to back it up, Howard, but according to this attorney I've spoken to, the numbers have remained pretty well consistent with what they were. So, right. 
when you, when you look at police motivation to keep the war on marijuana going, number one is the money for overtime. And number two, a close second is they want to search every car they stop. And as many in your audience are painfully aware, I smell marijuana, get out. And there's nothing you can do as a citizen. You have to get, get out because as long as they claim it, uh, they've got the legal right to go in under exigent circumstances to the Fourth Amendment. And that's why, like my state of Maryland is considering a bill that says the smell of marijuana will no longer be uh, enough probable cause for a police officer to search your car. They really, really like searching every car they stop, especially if it's a black or brown driver, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and that's what's so sinister about it. That's exactly what it is. He he referred to it as a skeleton key. And the, the this what's really sinister about it is since cannabis is no longer illegal, the way they can they the way they can start it is by just saying, "Hey, I I do you have cannabis on you?" And people because it's legal, they may say, "Yeah. Oh, I can smell it." You know, right there. And he and he can get you with a crime. By having you confirm it, it's pretty crazy. Um, but anyways, uh, I've heard, like you just said, there are similar measures in Illinois. That's the good news to remove that, to address that issue. I've already heard there have been objections by the Sheriff's Association uh, in Illinois to this language. And basically they, from what I've heard, admitted that yeah, we use this to search people's vehicles and we would really prefer you not to take this away. So, and it's, it's a profession. Uh, and I've been doing this for 20, 20 years now since I retired. And yeah, my profession has fights me every day. Uh, the sheriff's association, the fraternal order of police, uh, all these groups in Washington, DC do not like to see me in the cowboy hat because they know I'm there to take away money. Um, in the halls of Congress. And of course, that now, quote unquote, right of the police to search every car they stop. And uh, so, yeah, the resistance is formidable. And, um, and we do the best we can to, you know, to blunt it. And when I tell people, I tell, you know, congressmen and, and their aides, why the police fight it, they, they nod their head like, yeah, the money's good. And yeah, they like searching cars and all this other stuff, but it's very tough for a politician to go against the, uh, the what the police in their area want. The famous, well, I talked to my sheriff back home, Howard, and he thinks you're full of, you know, I'm going, well, yeah, Congressman, he likes the money. You give him $300,000 a year in federal grants to go chase a green, you know, God's green plant. Of course, they, they don't want to lose the money. So just saying. Well, uh, we'll wrap up this topic because I didn't plan to talk to you about – I didn't even realize that like you lobbied for those things. I didn't realize you knew Don Murphy, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, I, I plan to ask Don to come on in the future, so now I'll be able to say, hey, I've had Howard on, and I'm sure he'll consider it. So, um, But but just to wrap up this topic, and then uh, I want to close the show by getting back to what I invited you on to, which is just the legalization of drugs in general. Um, this is a comic – that I was thinking of, and this is how I knew what I said earlier. It took me a while to find it. If you noticed, I was looking for it while I was chatting with you. So this is by an artist named Box Brown. First of all, can you see it? Um, and I'll read it for our listeners, but can you at least see my screen? I can see the screen. Um, uh, cool. I, I can't make it bigger. So out of luck. 
I'll read through it. So the Safe Banking Act, which has been attached, this is an old comic, by the way. So some of this information may no longer be relevant. This might actually remind you when this comic was made. The Safe Banking Act, which had been attached to the National Defense Bill, has been removed. This would have allowed banks to work with cannabis businesses, but not compel them to do so. This move is contentious among advocates, to say the least. Investors are sad for sure, right, because it didn't happen. One of my concerns is losing momentum for legalization. The Netherlands has a small hobbled-together cannabis market riddled with major problems, but they've lost the political will to fix it. The, the average person sees the cannabis issue as over. With an estimated 350,000 weed arrests in the United States of America in 2020 and being at the precipice of a national corporate oligopoly, we cannot lose the energy to legalize. That's kind of where my uh, where I was coming from on the safe banking thing. Right. And I, I don't see the I don't see the momentum slowing down. I mean, almost all the progress has made it been made in the states, especially of course those was initiative referendum. Um, and a few legislatures like Minnesota will probably legalize this year, maybe Hawaii. It's it's a slow and steady progress, obviously too slow for all of us. And that's just the way the politics work. Um, so I, I'm like I say, by the way, Don Murphy is the best of us. I've learned so much. I, he got here after I'd been here for like seven or eight years and I've learned so much from him. It's it's almost scary. But, yeah, you want to talk to him because he is the guru because all he does he has an advantage. He only talks to Republicans. I mean, he, he never talks to Democrats, essentially, because the resistance is coming from his brethren, his, 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 his brothers and sisters in the Republican Party. So that's why uh, he was hired a couple six years ago by MPP. They finally figured out you need somebody who speaks Republican to talk to a Republican. And uh, so, yeah, happy him on. And he, he can fill in a lot of blanks that I could not. Awesome. And articulate. Yeah. Definitely will do. Well, hey, to wrap up the show, do you think you'll see a day where heroin is legalized? Uh, I know speaking of small incremental steps, right? Yeah, the first step Oregon took two years ago to de uh de uh decriminalize uh uh simple possession. So today a you know a, a, a gram of crack, a gram of heroin is only a parking ticket. And I see that going across the country like it did Portugal. Um, <clears throat> but actual legalized heroin, if I live 10 more years, I think I got a medium chance of seeing it, the first state to legalize it in about 10 years. Uh, but that'll be another million Americans dead before we get there. It's just so sad that, it's just so sad, but there's, I mean, I'm doing all I can both, you know, in the halls of Congress and off duty going to, you know, Burger King and whatever else to just, do my one man uh, t-shirt show, but we'll get there, but it's going to take another 10 years for, for heroin. Easy. Yeah. Well, so in uh, Vancouver, I've interviewed, uh, a, so obviously different country, right? In Canada, but um, in Vancouver, there's a person named Dana Larson and he's led the cannabis movement in Canada for quite a while. And recently he opened up a store where he not only sells medical cannabis, but he sells psilocybin mushrooms coca leaf over the counter um he's going to be selling opium in the future he announced that on my show um he has lsd dmt basically any drug you can think of but here's my thing on 
his approach that I think is interesting. I don't, I, I could be wrong because last time I talked to him, but this is the, this is how it was the last time I spoke to him. As far as the cocoa goes and the opium goes, he's not doing the chemical process. You can either chew on the coca leaf like they do naturally, or you can have it in a tea or something like that. And then with the the poppy or the opium, you would probably smoke it like they used to back in the day. Do you think that's a better do you think that's a better path of showing people it's like, hey, it's these are just plants. And honestly, if you use them the natural way versus the chemical way we've become accustomed to and that's become like stigmatized, it's actually probably not as bad. Well, sir, your question is passed by my pay grade. However, you and I both know, and your audience does too, that the, the decrim or even legalization of magic mushrooms, et cetera, is sweeping the country uh, at the county state levels uh, because of the fantastic progress veterans are making with their PTSD from war based on a guided health tour using a an hallucinogen. So we're going to see after marijuana uh, cannabis, we are going to see the magic mushroom type stuff sweep the country. You've already got Colorado and Oregon that have legalized some forms of, uh, of uh, hallucinogens, the magic mushrooms, et cetera. And this is going to continue to sweep, I believe, quickly because everybody wants to help the veterans and losing whatever it is, 20 a day to suicide, the need is now, you know, and so all states are looking at this in the legislature this year, I believe. And that's that's progress, which we'll see more and more of coming up because, you know, people who have had PTSD, whether you were in combat or you were raped as a child, could really use that type of uh, medical attention to, you know, fix their brain. And I, I, I applaud all their efforts. Absolutely. Well said. Well, uh, folks, if you're listening, you can find Howard on Twitter at Cannabis Cop. I'm displaying it on my screen right now. Howard, I loved this picture that you shared. Is this actually on your car? Oh, yeah. That's how I drive around. Do, <laughs> do you uh, do you get pulled over? <laughs> I've had that on the back of my car uh, for, what, 20 years now. Never been pulled over. Uh, I wear the shirt when I go through customs, when I come back from you know, overseas. I've never been stopped by customs. They look at my shirt. You know, they're, they're stopping people and checking their baggage. And they look at my shirt and go, oh, God, just wave me right on through. <laughs> was Andrew Yang a little hesitant to take the picture with you? Was he like, ah, this guy, the shirt? <laughs> no, I asked the question. I was rolling about what would you do differently when it comes to heroin? Uh, would you treat it like a medical issue? He was the best of all. I talked to like 12 candidates in New Hampshire, and he was the best of them all. He was very straightforward, didn't hesitate, said we have got to take something like what they're doing in Portugal and Switzerland so we can save people's lives and, and reduce the problems involved with, with uh, heroin addiction. I was like, and that's why he shook my hand, took, he got his thumb up there, you can see it, because he really, he gets it. He's a, he's a bright guy. You can just kind of feel the IQ, you know, coming out of his ears. Uh, displaying the picture once again, Howard, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. This is such a cool photo. Um, it's, and it's a pleasure to have been able to connect with you. Um, I'm looking forward to the next time we chat, man. I'm going to keep you in my Rolodex uh, because uh, you seem to be at the forefront of, of what's making and uh, what's happening right now you know so 
yeah, I uh, well, I appreciate. For... Yeah, well, thank you for the kind words, and I'm I'm at your service. Uh, anything else pops up, uh, just yeah, give me a bump, and we'll we'll chat. Cool. So, folks, we just uh, spoke with the cannabis cop. I hope you found value in this episode of the Chillinois podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Take care, everybody.